0: Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, May 27th. We begin with our weekly Ask the Doctor segment. Infectious disease specialist Dr. Craig Janney of the University of Calgary answers
1: COVID questions as submitted by you, the listener. Next, we look at the horrific state of long-term care homes in Ontario. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa bureau chief and host of the West Block, brings us the latest details of the grim findings by Canadian military personnel who spent time in the facilities.
0: Then we'll hear from the mayor of Banff on the progress the town has made in the first two weeks of reopening and her new message to all of
1: Albertans. Banff is back open for business. It's on a new virtual platform, but the aim is the same. Ask Her YYC has relaunched a program online which encourages more women to run for municipal government.
0: And finally, we'll hear another story of a Calgarian who's gone above and beyond to make a difference in our city during the coronavirus crisis. We speak to the nominator behind our next community champion candidate.
1: 811 on the morning news. Every Wednesday, we bring in an expert to help answer all of your COVID-19 questions. Joining us once again is Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, Dr. Craig Janney. Good morning, Dr. Janney. Good morning. And again, that number, if you want to text in, is 403-974-8255 to get your questions answered. I had a question. It might be a weird one, but I think you're used to these questions, Dr. Janney. Okay, if, <laughs> if uh, somebody had handled, a, for example, a cherry tomato and had COVID-19 uh, on their fingers, I grab that tomato, and I pop it in my mouth and uh, chew it. Would my stomach acid kill the virus? <laughs>
2: Tough question. Uh, Yes. Uh, The the big risk, though, is that if you are now picking it up, it's on your hands, so you can rub your eyes, nose, things like that. So, again, we really want to make sure if we're handling uncooked food that we wash our hands uh, immediately afterwards to avoid uh, contaminating other parts of our body and face.
0: Okay, and that is our next question, keeping your hands away from your face. That's what we're being told. So can the virus enter your body through your eyes Or your ears, for that matter, with COVID being a respiratory disease.
2: Right. So I've not seen any evidence for ears. I've seen that one asked a number of times. And we do not have any evidence through ears, but absolutely through the eyes. In fact, the eyes might be one of the major overlooked uh, routes of infection. Yeah. So this is why we want to avoid rubbing our eyes. Our our tear ducts are connected straight to our our nose and throat. So anything that gets into Mm. our eyes will have access to where it wants to infect.
1: Gotcha. Next question. Uh, If UV light kills the coronavirus, why is there concern with the use of playgrounds? Would the sunlight not kill the virus?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. So the sunlight does kill the virus, but there's a lot of variables there, whether it's direct sun, shade, how long is an object in the sun. And you can imagine on the playground, there'll be uh, surfaces like the underside of a railing that don't really get the sun. So the virus on the top exposed to the sun may be directly inactivated, but the rest of it won't. So it's a really, you know, variable uh, reaction to the sun.
0: Why, doctor, do they test for fever, say at the airport, for example, when we know the majority with coronavirus don't have a fever
2: that's another good question (laughs) Um, so it's just layered defense so the more layers we have the better off we are just because you don't have a fever does not mean it's a green light and and at the airports it is not a green light there are subsequent questions if you are traveling from outside of canada there is still a mandatory two-week quarantine so it it is just simply one additional layer and we're not relying on that layer as our sole defense
1: Do you think that more Calgarians should be tested even if they're asymptomatic?
2: The, I think the easy answer there is yes from even as something as simple as a research purpose the better idea we have of where the virus is how far it is spread in the community the much better our models are and the much better we understand the impact of opening things up it's less about trying to identify people that that have to uh be isolated you know we're not actively trying to police this but we really need to understand where the virus is where it has been and where it's going to be in the next couple weeks
0: this one a little bit of a complicated question but does anyone actually benefit from a so-called COVID death? Conspiracy theorists, they insist the death numbers are being padded because doctors and the government make money for each death or additional funding from those deaths.
2: Uh, I have never seen funding tied to deaths in any way, shape, or form. Um, As you're saying, if you're you're padding the numbers, whether it be one government or another, I mean, it's the government that is paying the government. So I, I don't see where anybody stands to make um, money off of this what we do know is is we can look at death rates and whether whether you believe they're associated to COVID or not they are directly up in the the last month or two compared to last year and the years before so there is a measurable increase in loss of life in canada and those people all have COVID symptoms so uh, the connection is pretty direct
1: Mm -hmm. is the virus immediately killed with bleach wipes
2: uh, for the most part, it only takes a, a matter of, uh, of uh, a minute or so to kill the virus. So this is nothing you have to leave soaking. So we wipe something down, and by the time you're ready to use it, things will be dead on it.
1: Same with the soap, same deal. Same with the soap, Okay. Yeah.
2: 20 seconds, warm water, you're good to go.
1: Uh, when might a second wave hit if it's going to hit?
2: Yeah, uh... I don't think we're going to see a true second wave as we have with historic infections. I think what we're going to see is a, a an uptick from, from where we're at. So I don't think this is going to go away. I think we're going to see this uh, reduction in cases and maybe stabilization for a while. And then after a number of weeks, as we begin to reopen things, as people begin to ease back into some sense of normal life we may see some increased transmission and unfortunately cases will then probably tick back up again.
0: Dr. Janney this kind of relates back to what we talked about just before the break what is it about the soap or the bleach wipe for that matter that's able to kill the virus you know in 20 seconds or so?
2: Yeah, so viruses are not alive. They're these little packages of genetic material. And and with this virus, it's actually covered in a little bit of protein and then covered in a little layer of fat or lipid. And, for example, if you add soap, it yanks those fats out almost instantaneously, and basically the virus falls apart. So it doesn't kill it. The virus isn't alive to begin with, but it basically destroys the structure, and it can no longer infect us.
1: When would an antibody test for COVID-19 be available to the general public and and how would you get something like that?
2: So these will be administered through your local health care provider. Uh, there are some being used in Canada now from a research perspective. However, we're still not entirely clear how to interpret the results. So they will tell you if you've been exposed, but we don't know exactly which antibody yet is fully protective. So just because you test positive, it's difficult to say somebody's protected we've also seen some numbers emerging from the united states where they use a number of different antibody tests suggesting that almost half the people tested may actually not have antibodies, but they test positive. So there are some variabilities in the test yet, and that's largely why we're not using it uh, to make decisions on whether somebody is safe to reenter the workforce or not in Canada.
0: And I guess this kind of relates to that. Do we know specifically yet, once the virus enters the body, how long it takes for someone to feel the consequences or for the virus to, I don't know, incubate? How does that work?
2: Yeah, so anywhere four to to just over 10 days before you would develop symptoms but we have to keep in mind there's a large number of people that may never develop symptoms so they could be infected the virus can replicate and they don't know it they they simply don't feel sick
1: here's one uh, when and who declares that the pandemic is over
2: So the pandemic is a a terminology used by the World Health Organization, and I think there's a lot of confusion about pandemic in that, you know, when we hear the term, we think it's something excessively nasty, and in this case, it is something quite severe, but pandemic is a term used to describe the distribution of a new virus. So unfortunately, now that this virus is probably permanently established, in the coming months, it'll be uh, probably downgraded from pandemic to something we call endemic, or something that is always there, always part of our daily lives.
0: Uh, This is a question, maybe difficult to answer in one way, but perhaps easier in another. Is it safe to send the kids back to daycare? So I know you can't say whether it's safe or not, but from a a germy perspective, what do you think?
2: Uh, It's going to be highly variable. So there will be areas of, of the province and daycares where there's essentially no virus in the community, and it would be very difficult to imagine how a child would pick something up and there may be hot spots in the community where an individual daycare or a small region uh, might have an increased viral load, in which case then the risk, unfortunately, goes up in those areas.
1: Will the virus die if we take a shower after a work shift or coming back from grocery
2: shopping? I, I, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, again, you know, soap, shampoo... Uh, Number one, weapons against it. Any virus on our
0: skin, again,
2: not a real threat unless we expose it to our face. So if we have a shower, soap, shampoo, uh, you're good to go.
0: Well, you've answered all of our questions again. We'll have more for you next week. We know (laughs) that because we've already got a text line That's the questions just continue to roll in. Thank you so much for always taking the time to answer our questions.
2: Anytime. Take care, both of you.
0: You too. That's Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the U of C. 708 now, boy, the reports are graphic about residents being bullied, drugged, improperly fed, in some cases just left for hours and days in soiled clothes, soiled bedding. The shocking information came out of that report by the Canadian military that has been helping out in Ontario nursing homes. It's just, I think it was when Canadians read it, I can only imagine that people were absolutely shocked to. Because we'd heard during yes. this pandemic that things were not good in some of these senior care homes. But, boy, to this degree, I, I couldn't believe what
1: I was reading. Military sent in to help, as you mentioned. And, and that could be the difference and the real push for the change. Because we have an outside entity, like the military, to have some eyes on exactly what was happening. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of discussion. If that's the bonus that comes out of this, uh, you know, that we, we we have to embrace it because... These are our seniors. These are our, it, it's incredible. Everybody knows my father was in a senior care facility uh, for the months before his death. And, mm-hmm. and I go there uh, as often as I could to visit. And uh, it's it's a different way of life. And you just hope when you're, uh, your family members are in this They're care. They're being
0: looked after, we, right? Yeah,
1: that's what you expect. Oh. And to think that this is isolated in Ontario is... Uh, we'd be
0: foolish we, to think we that. We know that that
1: that's not the case but this is the indication that things have to change.
0: I was having a discussion on Facebook. Uh, I had posted something and boy got a lot of comments from people that I know right here in Alberta that as you say have and had relatives in senior care homes and said that the conditions can be atrocious. Now it's not all of them and it's certainly not all the workers because there are many workers that work in these places that absolutely love what they do and are, are wonderful people but there are certainly cases obviously because I just even just on my Facebook post, I saw multiple people saying we saw this over and over again with my dad or my mom yeah. or my grandparents or that sort of thing. But it's just shocking to see the conditions that some of these seniors are living in. And then I saw another uh, comment about how we're kind of the only you know group that really doesn't keep our seniors in. Our own homes. Different and, countries and around them, the world. Right?
1: Yeah. yeah, different uh, backgrounds. Hey, let's get some more on this story. We're joined now by Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Uh, good morning, Mercedes.
3: Good morning. Now, is
1: is this a story that Global News broke to begin with?
3: Yeah, it is, and we were, we were quite surprised when the Prime Minister came out and started talking about this right before we were about to publish. Um, but they had received the report on Friday at the political level here in Ottawa. Um, the military had written it up, put it up the chain hand on the 14th, and it had sort of been winding its way through the bureaucracy. Um, and. What was, you know, really shocking when we read it. Uh, you could see it shocked the officials here in Ottawa too. There's always easy people to really shock, but, but what was in it was just jaw-dropping and, and very sad and very disturbing. Um, and we were planning to break this story because we had heard over and over again that the conditions in the homes were very bad. The allegations were very serious. So we didn't want to go with just, you know, hearsay that things are bad. Um, and we were able to obtain documents, including the report that was publicly released. We also had documents beyond that. Um, and, and these are documents that had very clear and very, very serious allegations and that matched what we were hearing. Um, and it was a story we'd been working on for a couple of weeks uh, and there was just a lot of concern among people in the military that something be done and this report become public. Um, now, I'm told by Ontario officials around Doug Ford that as soon as he found out about it on Monday, he wanted to go public immediately and they kind of had to do some legal checks first. Um, so I, I think it would have come out, but there was the concern among a lot of troops that it wouldn't come out, that this would be suppressed or that it simply because it was not intended for public consumption wouldn't be released and that they would leave these homes and they'd slide right back into the disrepair that they'd been before or people would not be held accountable in some cases um, where there are very clear allegations of neglect and abuse.
0: Mercedes, I think sometimes shock is necessary to make change. So can you talk about some of the specific findings that the military released? Absolutely. So it's a whole range of everything from some people who are just not trained and don't seem to know what they're doing,
3: um, right up to what they describe as outright abuse. And we're talking about everything from um, cockroach and ant infestations Rotting food in residents' rooms, residents found sleeping with food in their mouth, Uh, residents who were audibly choking, the military says, or aspirating and still having food put into their mouths, residents unable to feed themselves, being described as refusing to eat after they'd not been helped with a meal, Uh, in some homes not getting three meals a day because there wasn't enough food supplies, Um, descriptions of people being very roughly handled, being abused when their personal incontinence products were being changed, Um, Descriptions of them being left to cry in one home for as long as two hours without being checked on. Uh, Descriptions of people who were dying not receiving pain relief because there was no one on duty qualified to give pain relief medication. Um, Descriptions of one person who was fed lying down, which is against regulations. You have to sit people up to give them medication, a drink or food. Uh, And the military alleges that this person choked and died. Uh, the Ontario coroner is now investigating that report. So that, that's the range of more the abuse and neglect side on the PPE and infection control side. There's equally shocking allegations, uh, that management in one home was making a Taylor Swift dance music video and was dancing between COVID and non COVID sections of the home without proper infection protocols. Uh, nurse dispensing drugs without gloves on, another one refusing to wear a mask saying she couldn't breathe. Uh, people not changing their gloves or their masks between going from patient to patient, including sometimes patients that have been diagnosed with COVID and those that hadn't. Um, do not resuscitate orders, not being on hand, which meant the military was doing extraordinary measures and CPR on people who had a do-not-resuscitate order in some cases, they are alleging. That also puts the military at risk, by the way, because it aerosolizes uh, COVID-19 when you do chest compression. So some pretty horrific stuff, uh, and, and stuff where in, in many cases, I mean, they had told the homes, right? They went to the homes mm-hmm. management first. This was not like they just went up the chain of command and said nothing. Uh, and in some of the homes, they say the situation is improving. Uh, in others, in one home in particular, they're saying that they've not been allowed into the patient rooms anymore. So they're concerned. Um, and this is obviously a very small sampling, right? It's only five homes. It is not to say all homes at all are like that, but it really... The way the military described it, and I think the fact that it is the military and people associate them as being pretty tough, right? Uh, pretty used to seeing adversary. If they come in and they say this is outright abuse, I think that gets a lot of people's attention.
1: That's a lengthy list of uh, Mercedes that you rolled through there. What What are the next steps forward from the federal government, and how soon can we maybe see some action to this uh, just a horrific problem?
3: tricky one for the federal government because these are all provincial, right? So how do you help provinces to make sure that there are trained staff? How do you make sure that there's enough staff? Um, And how do you have, you know, the areas like in Ontario where the Ford government's been criticized because they stopped a lot of the inspections. Uh, Now that said, you can get everything up to code for one day. Uh, But how do you accountability in place and proper staffing. There's some people who want a royal commission. There's been no suggestion that's committed to yet, but certainly that's something that I've heard a lot of people talking about out there. Um, there's the possibility the federal government could give the provinces increased funding um, for elder care. We do know the Prime minister is going to talk about something today. I wouldn't expect like a huge policy announcement necessarily, but I think that they're going to say they're, they're very carefully looking at this. And in these particular reports, um, the one case the coroner is is investigating but the reports are also being passed on to law enforcement and doug ford has said that there is a possibility there could be criminal charges here and keep in mind the military is in even more homes in quebec and we haven't heard what they've seen yet
0: well uh, this is something canadians we need to keep pressing our government both provincial and federal and make sure action is taken to look after our seniors thanks for joining us mercedes always appreciate your perspective Thanks for having me, guys. That's Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief. Yep. Well, Canadians with disabilities actually make up 22% of the general population, and according to our next guest, many of them do not qualify for the government's SERB program. Joining us now is Executive Vice President of the Canadian Association for Community Living, which works on behalf of Canadians with intellectual disabilities and their families, Krista Carr. Good morning, Krista. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. So your message is that there are certain vulnerable groups that were left out right at this point during this pandemic.
4: Uh, Absolutely. In terms of people with disabilities, um, they, as many other Canadians, uh, have seen hugely increased costs during this pandemic, but they have costs that other Canadians do not have. And in addition, many Canadians with a disability live below the poverty line on a regular day. So this this pandemic has caused an absolutely huge financial crisis for many people with a disability and their families.
1: So a lot of these people might already be uh, you know receiving some funding. So you're not exactly saying put money into their pockets but uh, to those groups that are resources for these uh, people in these situations?
4: No, I I mean I sure that's definitely you know the government federal government announced a 350 million dollar support fund uh, for people, organizations that are helping vulnerable populations on the ground. And Uh I certainly think that uh, a good chunk of that money should go to organizations supporting people with disabilities. But if you look at what governments, provincial and federal, have done for other populations, like seniors, like indigenous people, like women fleeing domestic violence, like people who've lost their employment income, business owners. They have provided direct financial support to those populations because they know they're in, in dire need at this time. And that hasn't happened for people with disabilities. Now, in some provinces across the country, they've done, you know, Manitoba announced a one-time payment yesterday of $200 to help cover uh, increased expenses. It's a one-time payment of, of $100 in Ontario. B.C. Has, has added $350 a month. But... For, for a few months, but but most provinces haven't done anything in terms of additional financial support to cover the increased costs. And the federal government has not yet announced uh, financial support to people with disabilities and their families. And when you look at the at the additional costs that people are facing from everything from having to purchase their own personal protective equipment for their support workers and themselves to Medications and supplies to the increased cost of groceries Mm -hmm. and getting people to bring them to you, and it just goes the list just goes on and on.
0: And here in Alberta, did our provincial government not do anything to top that up at all? In Alberta, I mean, you mentioned a couple of other provinces, we didn't do that here.
4: There's been no top up, uh, in Alberta. There has been, they did recently announce that they wouldn't claw back. All of if you if somebody with a dis, that was receiving um, H, for example, in Alberta was able to qualify for the CERB, which would have meant they would have had to have five thousand dollars worth of employment income and have lost their job mm-hmm. as a result of the pandemic. They would be able to keep a portion of that, but the rest would be clawed back. Mm. Um, and in many provinces across the country, they've they're clawing it all back, or only letting people keep a small portion of, of the funding
1: Krista what would be adequate as far as you know a top-up or uh, at least uh, something to, to, to have that extra push to help uh, people with disabilities through this time uh, is there a number or a percentage increase we can talk about
4: well I mean when you when you look at it I mean what what we've said is that Canadians need at least two thousand dollars a month to live on mmm that's essentially what we've said with the CERB, right? It, that's a minimum amount that Canadians need to live on. Well, if you look across the country, there is nobody that is receiving disability income assistance that's making anywhere near uh, that amount of money. and so and so, I mean, yes, we probably may not be able to get up to a two thousand dollars level right now, but some additional support, from both levels of government is needed and it's urgently needed. People with disabilities are suffering immensely right now and their families. And if you look at the in-kind supports in communities that used to be there for people, free Wi-Fi at the library, food banks to top up your groceries, not that people should necessarily have to access those services, but they were there. But now in many cases, you know, the libraries are closed. the, The food banks have closed down. Uh, so people aren't even able to access the regular in-kind supports they were getting just to get by on a day-to-day basis.
0: Most definitely more work for the Canadian government and the provincial government to do, in fact, then as well.
4: Uh, absolutely. Like, this is a shared yeah. responsibility, and I, I frankly think the federal government uh, has borne a lot of responsibility around a lot of populations. I definitely think they have a role around people with disabilities, but the provincial governments do as well.
1: Thank you for bringing this to our attention, Krista. We appreciate it.
0: Thank you.
1: That is Krista Carr, Executive Vice President of the Canadian Association for Community Living.
0: 7.49 now. We now know Banff and Jasper National Parks will reopen Monday. And that's the plan for the town of Banff as well. Though maybe we can sneak in a little early. We're checking in with the Mayor of Banff, Karen Sorensen. Hi, Karen. Thanks for joining us. You're most welcome. Nice to chat with you this morning. Great to have you back because I know the message has been, you know, please stay away till we're ready to have you. Are you ready for us now?
5: Absolutely. And yes, you could sneak in this afternoon if you'd like to. So we're really ready to welcome visitors back. I do have to start by saying thank you so much to Calgary and the surrounding area, Alberta really, uh, for giving us the extra time that we needed. We wanted to make sure that we were prepared. I I think that Albertans expect that of us as a a world-renowned tourism destination, and we're feeling very ready right now.
1: Uh, Mayor, what's it going to look like for for those visitors who've not been uh, so far this year as far as what's open or or differences they might see and encounter?
5: Right. So to begin with, to see who's open, Banff.ca has a list on there of businesses that are open. Um, When the province announced the initial relaunch on May 14th, most of our businesses did not open. But over the course since May 14th, more and more are opening. Um, I think by this weekend, I think most will be open. Uh, But you can check there. And I'm really encouraging visitors, if they are coming, especially if they have a very specific place that they think they want to go to, to eat or to, to shop or whatever the case may be, call the store or the restaurant and just ask um, are you open what are your hours and what's your protocol in terms of safety measures and I think that's a really good um, thing for visitors to do in terms of how we're going to look it is going to feel and it is going to look different council decided on Monday to uh, close the 100 and 200 block of Banff Avenue, which is the main downtown core, to vehicular traffic um, through the summer with the intention of giving extra space for pedestrians and social distancing and also to give our restaurants and our retailers an opportunity to have some more space to provide their products and services since many of the um, shops and the restaurants have to operate at a lower occupancy than what they would normally do.
0: All right, so what about hotels? That's the one question other people are asking. Are they open in town?
5: Yeah, my understanding is that most hotels either are open are opening. I know that Fairmont has been um, widely spreading that their opening date for the Shadow Lake Louise and the Banff Springs Hotel are June 1st, but definitely my impression is that most hotels uh, are currently open or, or opening. I also want to say that I would assume most businesses in Banff are doing a really good job of keeping their websites up to date so people can certainly go check and see what's happening.
1: Thanks for your time and thanks for the update, Karen.
5: Already, thank you.
1: That is Karen Sorensen, the mayor of Banff. 719 on the morning news. Did you know that only three of Calgary's 15 city councilors are women? Yet women comprise 50% of Calgary's population. Ask Her YYC is relaunching Prepare Her, a unique hands-on program that trains women to run successful campaigns and is designed to address the unique barriers faced by women stepping into political leadership. With all the details on Prepare Her, we are joined by acting president with Ask Her YYC, Jillian Hines. Good morning. Jillian. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking the time. So let's talk about the relaunch. Is it, uh, you know, uh, one of those things that uh, we had prepared to have this launching, but it was pushed back by the COVID 19 pandemic?
6: Yeah, you bet. So, I mean, just like many, many people, um, or I would say everybody in Calgary and and beyond, COVID 19 has really changed, uh, you know, our lives in many ways. But I think at the end of the day, ensuring that, you know, to your point, city council represents the city it serves hasn't changed and so for us it was incredibly important to pivot and really look at how we design this program um, to not only respond to this new virtual world but also to respond to the challenges of our current reality. Uh, while maintaining our goal to amplify and support women to, to run successful campaigns, So there's no doubt we had to get here. It uh, just took a little bit of time to to rethink what this looks like um, and how, how political engagement looks like as well from a virtual perspective.
0: So talk to us about the Prepare Her campaign. What would women be in for if they get involved with this? You bet. Well, hopefully they're in for
6: um, a couple of different things. I think at the very least what we're looking to do is to provide women with uh, some real foundational models, uh, modules around what they need to run a successful campaign. So that's everything from, you know, understanding some of the the how the city works from a municipal lens, through to you know public policy, fundraising, campaigning, media management. So it's really, you know, those those core pieces of running a campaign. Um, but I think more broadly than that, it, it actually gives them an opportunity to become part of a, a cohort and a community of support um, to really help help women to sort of amplify them and overcome some of the barriers that, that may stop a woman from choosing a political career.
1: Jillian, it kicks off today. Is the best place to askheryyc.org for more info? It definitely
6: is. Check out askheryyc.org, and we've got a Prepare Her page. Mm-hmm. And actually, you can see our first cohort of 20 women that are taking the program. They're on, uh, they're on the page live, and there's some mm-hmm. fantastic individuals on there. Good. We're pretty proud of them.
1: Sounds great. And again, askheryyc.org. Thanks for your time, Jillian. Hey, thank you so much. That is Jillian Hines, acting president with Ask Her YYC. You know, it's very tough uh, right now as we get, uh, certainly not post-pandemic, but start to ease things up, Sue, Mm -hmm. and deciding whether or not to go to the park. That's complicated. Should I I go to the park? Maybe there's too many people there. Restaurants are open. Yeah, struggling to make decisions because the stakes have been so high and there continues to be a risk uh, we're joined by Professor in the Biomedical Research Department at Simon Fraser University, Diane Fine. Good to help us through some of these questions. Good morning, and thanks for joining us, Diane. Hi. It's a it's a maybe a gun shy thing, a trepidation, because I know personally, in my case, I have not, you know, really been anywhere but the grocery store since mid March. Are you finding that a lot of people just don't even know how to take that first step?
7: So I didn't hear all of your uh, conversation just before I came on, but I'm, I'm guessing you're sort of asking about how individuals uh, make decisions as it relates to the environments that they're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, okay.
7: Okay. Sorry. <laughs> just get my head in the right space here. So, um, so I think it's super challenging to uh, give specific advice to everybody because the decision about about going to the store or going to the park, uh, what you do, whether it, you know, any of those sort of different environments, it's gonna be an individual decision. So, you know, you have to consider uh, uh, your risk, the complexity of the environment you're going into, how much control you have, how much you know about all these different things. And we don't have a lot of uh, information in some cases in which to make those kinds of decisions. So everybody's gotta weigh these things for themselves, uh, where their mental health is, where their uh, comfort is, how many people in their family or in their home are, um, uh, might be vulnerable or at risk. Uh, Those are all kinds of things. So kind of separating out places where you have a lot of certainty about uh, the situation, from those where you may have less information uh, is an important kind of first step.
0: So, I mean, and you're right, we don't have a lot of, you know, research on it because this is a, we're in a new situation, aren't we? So is your would your advice be to kind of, you know, make a, a chart, say, to say, you know, w- which one has some of the, the bigger worries for me and, and what I might feel more comfortable with?
7: So I'm not a psychologist. So in terms of how to sort of manage one's own, a sense of worry um, uh, and, and capacity. I'm not sure I can advise on that, but it certainly helps to think through what are the important things to you? Uh, what are the the biggest risks uh, that you might be exposing yourself to in a particular case, like uh, going to a crowded park or a park that's not so crowded? And. Um, and then also uh, how much risk tolerance you have. It's a bit like uh, when we talk about financial investing. How do we invest ourselves in our environment uh, depends a little bit on how much risk we can, we're comfortable with and how much certainty we have about uh, whether that's going to be a safe environment. And sure, I think listing the things that are really important would be a good starting place because it keeps you focused on uh, what's important to you.
1: And the rules seem to be different everywhere, Diane, Mm -hmm. so that could be the part of it is, you know, for example, here in Alberta, do you you, uh, meet with friends across the table and have a pint of beer for the first time? Is that permitted uh, because they're not in your bubble, but they might be two uh, meters away? And I think that there's just so much information and that might Mm -hmm. be giving people, you know, some trepidation to take the next step.
7: Sure. Here's the thing, though. Rules work when the problem that you're trying to uh, you know address is simple. So mm-hmm. when you want to bake a cake, follow the recipe, <laughs> yeah. follow the rules, yeah. right? Like that's really easy. But when you want to raise a child, that's complex. It's, uh, you know, there's no rules that really work. And we're in a space where the problem is complex, where each individual has to make their own decision. So you need to start thinking differently about how to kind of go about that. Rules don't work. And we're starting to see emerge uh, out of this pandemic, how different provinces are taking it and thinking about it so in DC where I live we Mm -hmm. have a provincial health officer who's setting principles giving you the basic ideas of what you're trying to accomplish and then letting you figure out how to accomplish it whereas in um, Ontario there's kind of more it seems and maybe I'm uh, unfair to call out a particular province but in other places there are rules being put in place and finding the right balance of where you need a rule versus where you need the idea Mm -hmm. uh, and the principle that you then interpret, that's that's not so easy. I I have a lot of sympathy for our decision makers right now. This is a very challenging time because we're used to working using rules, but rules aren't necessarily the best way to get us through the pandemic safely and healthy and all of those sorts of things
1: rules for a game we've never played before and that's the crazy part about this there's no template there's no framework to follow and we're really creatures of habit uh mm-hmm. so that could be a part of it too because we're so far out of our routine to find a way back could take some time and maybe it's not just because the restaurants open this week it's going to feel like normal
7: yeah i don't think well we i don't think we'll ever go back to the normal that we had uh before the pandemic uh was in our face like that There are many things about what was considered normal then, uh, like air travel uh, to many distant places. Uh, The funny story for me is last year I travel enough on Air Canada to become super elite again I hadn't done that in in a decade I vowed to reduce my travel um so that because I was tired of it and I don't think I'll go anywhere this year to take advantage of my new status yeah oh
1: wow well
0: the questions (laughs) continue I'm happy about about I I think a lot of people are too Diane thank you the questions continue so uh you know I guess we just all, all have to make our own decisions based on our own information so thank you for your perspective this morning yeah happy to help That's Diane Feingood, professor in the biomedical research department at Simon Fraser University.